Day 53 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we are finishing the book of Leviticus. One more book that we've got in our pocket today. We will be reading from the ESV by Crossway Translation. And before we get into it, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button if you're part of the Heart Dive fam. And of course, making sure you're subscribed to the channel. You got that notification bell on means that you will know when the videos come out each day. Don't forget to check out our description box if you're new here or the show notes if you've got any questions at all about this Bible study, or you can head on over to our website, heartdive.org. But before we get into the word today. We want to prepare our hearts by praying. So let's get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for this day today. We are so grateful to be able to just have breath in our lungs, to be able to see, to hear, and to be able to come into your presence. Thank you, Lord, that every time we draw near to you, you draw even nearer to us. We're so grateful for the invitation that you've extended to us. So we accept it with gratitude. And we show up today, Lord, with hearts ready to be able to hear your word. And so I pray, Lord, that we we will be open, that our soil will be tilled and will be ready for your seeds to be planted, to be nourished, to be cultivated, and to bear fruit. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, anything that we have done that has hurt your heart or grieved your spirit. And I just pray that you will help us to make it right if we are not aware of the things that we have done. But we will say with all honesty, Lord, that we want to live our lives in righteousness and for you. And so I pray that you will help us to do that, guiding us by your spirit every single day. Help us to also forgive others, Lord, because we know that in doing so, we are able to not only set them free, but set ourselves free from that bondage. So we love you so much. Please keep the enemy far from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting off here in chapter 26, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or a pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. So notice that we are covering all possible items of idolatry, including images, pillars, and figured stones. And remember, the word idols actually means nothings. And even though idols are powerless in the material realm, they are still very powerful in the spiritual sense. In modern day, idolatry doesn't look like carved images or pillars or figures of stone. They're anything that takes the place of God in our lives, anything that we put before Him or make more important than Him. And so, because Satan knows that he has lost the battle on our souls, he's going to do everything he can to try to distract you with some sort of idol in hopes that he can at least slow you down or try to diminish your ministry. Verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes, and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So here we begin this if-then section. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you don't obey, you will be cursed. That's basically what this whole chapter is about. And notice that he says he will give them rains in their season. Now, a lot of the times we will sit there and think that it needs to be raining all the time, that we're supposed to be in the season of abundance all the time. But we know very well that that is not the case. There is a lot of time where it is a dry season or we're in a season of growing our roots. And so it's a very slow season. We don't see any green starting to break above ground. But that's when we really need to recognize, okay, every season has a purpose and we just need to be accepting of that and trusting the Lord throughout the process that He will bring the rain when necessary, as long as we are following after Him. So He's promising productivity here for them. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. 
And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. So not only does he promise productivity, but he's promising prosperity, protection, as well as peace. And you shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall chase 10,000 and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. So promising power here as well. And we will see in second Kings chapter seven, when Gideon's army of only 300 is able to defeat the 135,000. So this promising remaining true, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will confirm my covenant with you. So here he is promising his own promise as well as provision here in verse 10, you shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you. So here's promising his presence and my soul shall not abhor you and I shall walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. So he is also promising in the end here, freedom from slavery. So God is reminding them once again that he is the one who took them out from that slavery and set them free. And he did the same for us whenever he broke off the yoke of our slavery to our sin. And he set us on our feet so that we could walk in freedom. And we do not walk with our heads hung down in shame anymore because that would be denying the restorative power of God and the fact that he has forgiven us and thrown our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. So heart check, have you been freed from your sin? Or are you still hanging your head in shame with a yoke around your neck? So ultimately, the choice is theirs. If they listen, they will be blessed. And now we will see two times the amount of cursings that will take place if they do not listen. But... If you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments, but break my co covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. Now we know that bronze is the metal of judgment, but what this is speaking of would be that there would be no rains that would come in due season and therefore the hard would become foul and hard where all of the work that they had done would have been in vain. It would have been wasted and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its increase and the trees of your land shall not yield their fruit. So all work, no pay. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins and I will loose the wild beasts against you. Now this would be a major threat against a small population. If there were indeed wild beasts that were released your livestock and make you you few in number, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And we will see this all play out later on. And if by this discipline, you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. Now, the whole purpose of God presenting these consequences, he's giving them the warning. This is his own mercy, letting them know, hey, listen to me, do the things I'm telling you. But if you don't, 
This is what is going to happen. He's making it very clear. I mean, I thank God that he gives us a warning of what our consequences will be if we don't listen, instead of just leaving us out there to guess. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins, and I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. How would this happen? Well, if everybody is flocking to the cities, you know there's going to be overcrowding, and that a lot of the time is where we will see those outbreaks of sicknesses and diseases. And you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I break your supply of bread, 10 women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. So there will not be enough food. But if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And we will see this play out in 2 Kings chapter 6, where they will start to be cannibalistic. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense of altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and I will make your sanctuaries desolate and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. So there will be no place for them to bring their offerings and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheathe the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. So this will be fulfilled in the Babylonian exile between 587 and 536 BC. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to the flight and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them." But if they confess their iniquity, so here we see God making a way, and the iniquity of their fathers in the treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. So God is going to honor the patriarchal covenant over the one he made with them at Sinai if they will turn back to him. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them, and they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes." And we will see this play out, this repentance and restoration in Daniel chapter 9. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. 
But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. And we will see throughout the Bible how God always made a way for the Israelites to come back to Him. The same way He makes a way for us every single day, as long as we are still here on this earth, a chance to return and repent. And a lot of people will ask, but why doesn't He just make people good? Or why didn't He just outlaw slavery? Well, remember, before he ever implemented do not do this, there was freedom to simply follow him in his ways. I mean, look at this chapter. He presents the blessing if they listen to them, but if they don't, then he has to implement the do nots because the promise of blessing was never enough to keep them on the straight and narrow. And instead of ruling with an iron fist and forcing everyone to do things his way, God's heart is to change people from the inside out. He doesn't want to force anyone to love him because that would be slavery. His heart is for freedom and he offers that to us. It is our choice if we want to live righteously or not, but we will all deal with the consequences of our choices and they will either steer us to God or away from him. If the choice is to move toward him, then the steering becomes a lot easier, kind of like power steering in a car. But if we drive in the opposite direction, life will be so much harder to navigate. So heart check, do the consequences of your sin power steer you toward God or navigate you away from him? Verse 46, these are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. So in a sense, this is the end of Leviticus and all of the laws. It seems as though chapter 27 is more like an appendix. And again, it's important to point out that as Christians, we are not under this blessing and cursing system. We are not under the law. Jesus set us free from that because if we were, we would all be cursed because we know that none of us can live up to the law. That is why Jesus came and he bore those very curses on the cross so that we as Gentiles could actually take part in Abraham's blessing. And this doesn't deny that sin has consequences because it does, but it also doesn't say that you will be cursed by God if you sin. And I'm not making this up. You can read about it in Galatians chapter three. So under the new covenant, we are free from the Mosaic law. We can eat bacon and shrimp, should we so please, because Jesus even said that it isn't what goes into our bodies that make us unclean, but what comes out of it. And he declared all foods clean. We are also not promised to be blessed because of our obedience, but we are blessed because of who we are in Christ. And the enemy loves to twist this all up in people's minds so that they question their freedom that has been given by grace. And some will think that if something bad happens, it's because they must be guilty of something. Or others will think that because they're being blessed, that it's because they're righteous. And neither of these are absolute. So we must always be in a place where we are evaluating our sin and our righteousness, but never against the backdrop of blessings and curses. So now we move into these laws about vows in chapter 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, if anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver. So 50 shekels would have been a significant amount in that time. This was about 20 ounces of silver, which would be out of reach for most people. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, if the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from five years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. If the person is from a month old up to five years old, the valuation shall be 
for a male five shekels of silver, and for a female, the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the power can afford. Now, clearly here we see the social ranking of this time and how the value of people was very different according to their strength and their ability and whether or not they were male and female or children versus adults. Now, why would people need to be valuated in the first place? What are we even talking about here? Well, we're talking about the redemption of persons who may have been dedicated to God for the service of God. And sometimes there would either be a physical sickness or disability that would then disqualify them for being able to serve anymore in that capacity, or it could have just been a change of heart or a change of mind by the family or by that person. So the person could be bought back. Verse 9, if the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good or bad, or bad for good. And if he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. So what is the whole purpose of God implementing this in the first place? Well, he is trying to discourage making rash vows in the first place. But if a person made a vow to the Lord, they had to fulfill it, even if it costs more than what they expected it to. And this hasn't changed in the mind of God. We still should not be making loose promises because the expectation of fulfillment on our part is still there. So heart check. Have you made any vows or promises to God that you haven't yet fulfilled? Verse 14, when a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price and it shall be his. And if a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. So a homer would have been six bushels or a donkey's load. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price and it shall remain his. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. Now, devoted was stronger than dedicated. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of evaluation for it up to the year of Jubilee. And the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 giras, and shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate. The reason why they cannot dedicate, because again, 
all of the firstborns belong to God. Whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation." But no devoted thing, so again, stronger than that thing that is dedicated, could not be redeemed, that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. What would be a devoted thing? I was really trying to dig around for this because I wasn't quite sure what this meant. I did read that it could have possibly been things or people that was under God's ban, so plunder that may have been taken from other nations idols from other nations or idol worshipers, the people that were taken, oftentimes being the women and the children. So no one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. So anyone sentenced to death would not be able to be redeemed. And thankfully, we were all sentenced to death, but Jesus was able to redeem us. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. So how would that happen? Well, I guess if somebody fell on hard times and could not pay his tithe, maybe he would have to wait until he is in better financial standing. And if that is the case, then basically he has to pay an extra 20%. And if every tithe of herds and flocks, every 10th animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So the way that they would have counted the animals was by holding up their staff and the animals that would pass under it, every 10th animal would belong to God. Now, they couldn't manipulate this in any sort of way by placing one of the spotted or blemished animals in the tent. It just had to go with the flow the way that it happened. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. So here we round out the laws given at Mount Sinai to the people of Israel. And some people are probably still having a very hard time wrapping their heads around why God would command the things that He did. But hear me when I say that our human minds will never be able to fully understand or comprehend the why on this side of heaven. But the closer you get to Him, the more you will begin to have eyes that are less clouded by your own human understanding, and you will be more open to the greatness of His ways. It's kind of hard to explain whenever you're not there in that place, but this is the crossroads that many Israelites faced. They didn't understand why God was doing what He did, and so most chose to rebel while others remained faithful and were blessed because of it. So we have the choice today to either be stubborn and say, God is way too narcissistic for me, and we can throw in the towel or throw it in his face as if we know better, or we will humble ourselves and say, I want to understand, Lord. I'm choosing to trust you. So heart check. Are you willing to grow in your understanding of God as you remain faithful to hearing his word, or do you think you know better than him? And going a little bit deeper, how can the command against idolatry relate to our lives today? How has the promise of blessings and curses changed under the new covenant? Does it alter your desire to live a faithful life? How did these commands shape your values on which you stand? And how would devoted items be considered most holy to the Lord? So Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the standing blessing that we have in Jesus. 
We are so grateful that we do not have to earn our way into heaven, but we also recognize that the call to live righteously remains. Every statute and command that you ever spoke was always for the good of those who were being called. And we hear your heart in this today and see the benefit of the laws that you would lay out for them. And so I pray that we will all be able to see and hear you more and more as we dig deeper into your word. I pray that there will be an accurate display of your nature and character written on our hearts. And while we may not live among slavery today, we still see it taking place on a spiritual level. So we thank you, Jesus, for setting us free from the slavery of our sin. May we never desire to return to that life that was so limited. Life with you here is wide open and free. And I pray that we will not hang our heads in shame of our past, for in doing so, we are denying your forgiveness and restorative power in our lives. Every single season has a purpose, and we know and fully trust that you will bring rain when it is necessary. I pray that we never try to force your hand according to the season that we think we should be in, but if we allow you to till our soil and to cultivate us and water us with the living word, we will then bear fruit. Your word promises a plan for our lives, one to prosper us and not to harm us, one to give us a hope and a future. So help us to hold on to that promise today. We know that when we walk according to your ways and with your presence, we will find that protection and that peace, the provision, the freedom, for it is who you are. The choice is ours. So I pray that every single time there is an opportunity to power steer back to you, may we do so. And a life lived in your lane is not promised to be easier, but you do promise to be on that road with us. And that is so much better than the alternative of trying to navigate this life alone. So we thank you for the consequences that will give us the choice to repent and turn back to you. Thank you, Jesus, for freeing us from the curses of the past. Your love and compassion is so evident today. I pray that we will continue to see it throughout our days. And I pray that we never make rash vows or empty promises to you, but choose our words carefully. And if we've ever made a promise that went unfulfilled, will you convict our hearts today and show us how we can make that right? We want to be people of our word, both with you and with people. So again, we thank you for helping us to know you more. Where there are scales in our eyes, will you allow them to fall off? We know that our tiny human minds will never fully comprehend your greatness on this side of heaven, but that's all part of faith. So we will choose to trust you regardless of our own faulty understanding. We love you so much and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.